Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We praise you for the opportunity to gather today to look into your word. Father, I ask and pray that right now that you would reveal your truth to us through the Bible. Lord, that as we look at the word, that it would minister to our hearts. Father, Father, that it would awaken our spirit. And Lord, that we would be transformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. That your kingdom may grow from here to the very ends of the earth. I thank you. I praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us online today. We are continuing in our series, New Beginning, The Lord's Prayer. And we have been, over the past several weeks, going through the prayer line by line, looking at what Jesus taught, how we ought to pray. And I really appreciate how intentional we've been with this series because you can pray through the Lord's Prayer in about 10 seconds. It's not very long, but what we've come to realize and see as we've walked this through line by line is that each clause or each verse is almost a prayer prompt. And it's allowed us to understand that Jesus gave us each of these prompts so that we would enter into a time of prayer remembering some very particular things. And I think that that's really revealed even in the structure of the prayer itself. I think Jesus mentioned these things intentionally, right? Because it starts with God, and everything ought to start with God. And not only that, but then we come to an understanding of who God is. He's our Father. And because of that, we get to have a relationship with Him through Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. But He's also holy, and so we worship our Father who is holy, but then Pastor Chris reminded us that He's with us every step of the way. So once we have a good understanding of who God is, we then have the opportunity to pivot, and Jesus begins to help us understand who we are as people, right? The focus shifts from God to us. And in that, we come to understand that we rely on God for everything. He provides our daily bread, but he also gives us the ability to work. We're to forgive others, but we can only do that because we have first been forgiven. And today, we have the opportunity to look at temptation and also sin and evil and what that means for us in our everyday lives. I don't know how old we need to be before we come to realize that there's temptation, sin, and evil in the world. I know it's not that old. My mom has told me a number of times that I was probably about three when I realized that if I wanted to get a toy that I wanted from the neighbor girl, all I had to do was bite her. Now, that's not something I'd recommend you do. I haven't done that for about eh, 35 years, but it was effective, right? I saw what I wanted. I wanted a toy. I was tempted. And the, ends, the end justified the means for me, right? I bit her. I got what I wanted. And I didn't have to be that old to understand that if I wanted something, I could hurt someone else to get what I wanted. I think that many of us realize fairly early on that the things we do can hurt us. They can hurt others. Things others do to us can hurt us, and it can hurt them as well, and that we're tempted to do things. And I think that Jesus understood that, right? God created us. Jesus is his son. They understand the human condition. So what does Jesus have to say about temptation and evil in particular? I want to take a moment and start by looking at his words as found in Matthew chapter 6. Now, we've been reading this repeatedly over the past several weeks, and if you've missed any of those previous messages, again, please go online, newlifexn.org, look at some of those messages. They've been really great. But we're going to look at what is this very familiar passage again today. If you have your Bible or Bible app, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, or click on that notes tab. 
you'll see all the scriptures I'm going to reference today as well as some of the notes as we walk through this message. So, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on, done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, you may note that verse 13 reads a little differently in this translation than what is the kind of the familiar traditional translation. For many of us, we've come to know this portion as lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Now, that tra traditional translation has a couple of questions that come to my mind when I read it. Can God lead us into temptation? Is that possible? What does that look like? What is evil? Who's the evil one? Why do we need to be rescued? Again, a lot of questions arise. And so, as we've done the previous few weeks, I want to take and look at each one of these clauses in turn. I want to start with temptation. Now, while lead us into temptation is the traditional translation, it's probably not the best translation when you look at the Greek and you also look at other passages in the Bible. Here's what I mean. The Greek term used for temptation here is the term parasmus. And parasmus can have a wide range of meaning. It can mean an attempt to learn the nature or character of someone or something, be test by test or trial, or an attempt to make one do something wrong through temptation, enticement to sin. What does that mean? Well, basically what Jesus is saying here is this can possibly refer to a test or a trial or temptation. Any of those are valid to be tested, tried, or tempted. So again, which translation should we use? Well, we need to look at some other passages of Scripture. Can God tempt us? Well, the answer is no. We know from James chapter 1 that God can't be tempted, nor can He tempt any one of us. James 1, 13 to 15 says this, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So, God can't tempt. It's not in his character. It's not what he does. So, temptation in this passage probably isn't the best interpretation. What is? Well, this is one of those times where really good scholars, very knowledgeable folks are having a hard time, have a, frankly, a really hard time translating this passage because of what we see in other portions of Scripture. We want to just take a moment here and actually look at it a little bit more. What we do know from this passage and throughout other portions of Scripture, is that temptations and trials and tests exist. It's part of our human reality. And I actually want to sum up this reality and what is our take-home point for today. It's the one point that I hope to make throughout the rest of this message and that I'd like to see us live out this week. It's this. In this life, we will be tempted, tried, and tested. In this life, we will be tempted, tried, and tested. Jesus knew what it was like to be fully human. Human. He was tempted. He was tried. He was tested. Jesus knew what it was like to be a man. He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, the Bible tells us. We also know that he walked among fallen people in a fallen world. 
So what does it mean to be tested or tried or tempted? Well, mostly in the Bible, when we, when we see a test, it's when uh, God uses circumstances to help shape and form us, to develop us. Some biblical examples of this would be, for example, when Abraham was tested by God to go and sacrifice Isaac. We also see it in the story of Job. A trial, on the other hand, happens because we live in a sinful and fallen world. Disease, natural disaster, fallen folks hurt each other, right? We've all seen that as well. Temptation, a couple different things, but is a result of the fact that we live in a fallen world where there's an enemy, right? There's these spiritual forces that would seek our destruction. We see that in the story of Adam and Eve, right? But James also reminds us that temptation is within each and every one of us. It's within our own minds. And we are led away and enticed by ourselves. Sometimes we don't need any help at all. So with the use of the term parasmus, Jesus articulates our life, our reality. We're going to face some hard things. We're going to face some hard things. Hard things are going to happen. At some point, we're going to be tempted. We're going to be tried. We're going to be tested. And sometimes it can seem like all three of those things happen at once. Anybody ever been there? And I'll be honest, if you're ever hit by that head on, gosh, it can almost be overwhelming. We think that we're really resilient. But I'll be honest, friends, I don't think we're as resilient as we like to think. If I've learned anything from the COVID-19 sort of quarantine and this whole situation, it's that we're not as tough as what we think we are. I can prove it to you. I guarantee that at least a few of us have eaten at least a half dozen cookies at one point during this whole thing. I know I can't be the only one, right? Why is it in the midst of all this, we're like, I'll eat that cheeseburger and all those chicken wings? Why do we do that? because we're not as resilient as we'd like to think. As with other portions of Scripture, especially within the Lord's Prayer, this verse reminds us of our dependence upon God. Daily bread reminds us that God provides for our every need. And as Pastor Chris mentioned, even the ability to work is a gift from God. This passage is no different. We are dependent upon God for everything, especially our ability to endure under a test or a trial or temptation. We think that we can handle it, but the reality is we can't. Pastor Andy Wigand was very gracious, and he actually sent me some notes that he has on this passage. And he shared with me a quote by a theologian named Dallas Willard. And I want to share the quote with you today because I think it frames what I'm trying to reference here really well. Dallas Willard says this, It expresses the understanding that we can't stand up under very much pressure and that it's not a good thing for us to suffer. It's a vote of no confidence in our abilities, confesses our feebleness as human beings. God expects us to pray that we will escape trials, and we should. We may not be able to stand up under them. They are dangerous. So what's the intent when Jesus says, lead us not? I think the New Living Translation we read today gets it a little bit closer when it states that we should pray to not yield to temptation. That's helpful. I also really appreciate Pastor Wigand's sentiment in his translation, which is, spare us from difficult circumstances. I think that's a helpful one as well. My translation is simply this, help, Lord, help. 
We know that challenging times will come. We know that that's promised. In the midst of that, we ask for help. Spare us from what you can. And in those moments where we must walk it out, help. Help. I mean, we've all been there, right? We've all been there. We've all been in that moment when that test or that trial, that temptation is more than what we think we can bear. We're probably not as resilient as we'd like to think that we are. And we have a heavenly Father who freely asks us. He actually implores us to come to Him, to bring it before Him. The hope that we have in that is incredible. I'll be honest, as a young believer, I used to pray a prayer or a couple of different variations of a prayer where I would say something along the lines of, Lord, test me, try me, whatever you need to do, form me into who you want me to be, let me experience that. It's kind of like this super Christian prayer, right? Like I'm intentionally asking God to, to do these things so that I would grow and develop. And while where the sentiment of that was good, you know what I've come to realize? It's a really dumb prayer. It's a dumb prayer. First, it's kind of self-seeking, right? It makes me the hero of that, and that's not the way it ought to be. But also, in this life, we've got more than enough from this life in and of itself. Here's what I mean. We have an enemy who's seeking to actively destroy us at almost every turn, right? And then you throw in the fact that my mind itself can lead me astray. There's temptation there. Oh, and sprinkle in the fact that sometimes God will use those situations to kind of shape and form me into who he wants me to be. And I'll be honest, I've come to realize that active dependence upon the Father is the only way that I can navigate this. There is enough on its own. I don't really need to ask for more. Jesus himself promised that we would face hard times when he says in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus promises that we will have trouble, but to take heart. He has overcome the world. We get to ask for help. What then of evil or the evil one, as mentioned in the second portion of the passage that we read today? Again, the Greek term here is very broad. The term is paneros, and it can mean evil, the evil one, labors, annoyances, hardships, to be pressed and harassed, toils, perils, causing pain or trouble. Now, if you've never faced any of those things, I really want to be your friend and come live in your reality because that sounds like an incredible place to be. Because listen, we've all faced something in that list, haven't we? Of course we have. We've all faced something in that list. I was three before I faced something in that list and I acted upon it in order to get the toy that I wanted. We've all faced something in that list. We don't need to be very old before we realize things are broken. The world is not the way it ought to be. People hurt each other. The book of Proverbs reminds us that there are three types of folks, three types of people in this world. We are either wise, we're fools, or we're evil. Evil folks do exist, and they cause a tremendous amount of pain and suffering. Right now, we have dear friends in Myanmar who are facing intense, intense trial because of the acts of evil people. They're in the middle of a government coup. The military came in and overthrew the government. And as of right now, hundreds of folks have been, perhaps thousands of folks have been imprisoned. We don't even really know. Dozens, if not hundreds, have been killed. That's the act of evil folks. 
And so right now, I pray, deliver us from evil along with my friends in Myanmar that they would be freed from that. That's what we get to do. We get to come to the Father in times like this and ask for deliverance from evil. Scripture also reminds us that we have an enemy, and he's an active enemy. And he seeks for our destruction at almost every turn. The Apostle Paul reminded us the enemy is like a roaring lion who would seek to devour us. The Apostle Peter said that, I should say. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. Now, this is something that we can struggle with a bit in America, here in the Western world, because we either oftentimes believe the devil isn't real, or that he's really not that big of a deal. He's not that dangerous. He's just kind of that little horned figure with a pitchfork. But the reality is, he is real, and he's not harmless. He is real, and he's not harmless. As Pastor Chris often states, he's a loser, but he's not a quitter. Thankfully, we're not powerless either. In Philippians chapter 2, it declares that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, under the earth being the spiritual realm. And at the name of Jesus, we have an authority there that defeats even our enemy. So, whereas the devil would seek for our destruction, we have a God who, when we call upon his name, gives us authority to overcome that. And as we do that, it, it reframes this, right? It puts it all in proper context. It reminds us who we, of who we are. It also reminds us of who God is. And it also puts the devil in his appropriate place. What is his appropriate place? We should be aware, but he's not prominent. We're aware of who he is, but it's not prominence. There aren't devils behind every tree and bush, but that he is real and he is active, and we ought to be aware. But we ought, to, we ought to also remember that we have a God who gives us great authority. Now, in all reality, I have no idea how often this portion of the prayer, deliver us from evil, actually is played out in everyday life. Here's what I mean. I don't know how many times the Lord has saved me from evil. I don't know when he spared me from the devil or the attacks of the enemy. I don't know how often that's happened for friends or family or loved ones or others that I know. I don't know. But I have the thought that maybe it happens more often than we would even care to think or admit. When I was a teenager, I read two books by the uh, author Frank Peretti. They're called Piercing the Darkness in This Present Darkness. And if, you've ever, if you ever get the opportunity, I would encourage you to read them. Because my takeaway from those books were how active God actually is in defending us, creation, humanity, from attacks of the enemy. And again, I think it happens far more often than we would think. Because we don't see it, we don't think it's real, but it's very real. I think that if we could see it even for a moment, we'd probably be terrified of how often the Lord spares us, delivers us, rescues us from evil. But again, when we pray this prayer, it puts it in proper context because we live in a fallen world with an active enemy. We face trials, we face temptation, and we also will face tests. Now, what of testing? I mentioned earlier tests happen when the Lord uses circumstances or situations oftentimes for our own development. Again, I find Pastor Wigand to be helpful. He states this, God's always working on our behalf, even when it doesn't feel like it. 
In Paul's letter to the Romans, he writes, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. That's an encouraging passage, right? So Pastor Wygan goes on to say, God doesn't cause all things, but he does cause them to work together for our benefit. That's a great way to put it. He quotes Dallas Willard again, and Dallas Willard said, says this, God will usually spare us from trials, I would say tests, but we should also understand when tests are permitted, it's only, it only means that he, meaning God, has something better in mind for us than freedom from that test. Something better than the freedom from that test. There is definitely a tension, Pastor Wygan goes on to say, between consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, as we find in the book of James, and spare us from difficult circumstances as Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer. God prefers to spare us, and that's how we should pray. But he also uses what I would call tests for his good purpose in our lives. When I read something like this, I'm reminded of the words of Oswald Chambers in his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, where he says that when we encounter a test, we shouldn't always say, God, what are you, we shouldn't ask the question, I should say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Oswald Chambers says that's the wrong thing to think. Rather, we should reflect upon the fact that God is shaping us into completely new things. We're new creatures. And as a result of that, we act differently. We're completely different. And so in the midst of that test, God is shaping and transforming us into a completely new creation for his honor and for his glory. Even as I've thought through that, which is really an incredible thing, I I reflected upon that as I was writing the words of this message. And so I reflected upon how God has shaped and transformed me, but I also began to reflect upon all the evil that I see in the world, right? It's been a tough year. I've seen good friends go through really challenging circumstances. I've seen family go through really challenging circumstances. Folks have been depressed. I've walked alongside folks in that. I've had friendships that have really been tested and strained. I see good friends in in Myanmar going through things I can only imagine. And for just a moment, if I'm being honest with you, if I'm being real, I thought, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? There's so much evil. God, where are you? And I know that sometimes you use that to shape and transform us, but wow, where are you in the midst of that? And what I love about Scripture is even in these moments where I'm, I'm kind of heading towards despair, if I'm honest, God will, because of my study of Scripture, bring to, to mind a verse or a passage or a story. This is how Scripture begins to renew our mind, right? Because instead of heading towards despair, God whispered into, into my mind almost, think of Psalm 23. And I thought, well, What about Psalm 23? It's a very familiar psalm. I want to read it for us today. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. Pastor Chris often teaches us as a staff about a principle that he calls the with me principle. It's a pretty simple principle. It basically says that the best way to train and equip someone is to have them come along with you, with me, come with me. And so even as a youth pastor, I use this a lot. I'd take kids with me to run errands or if I was doing an outreach in town or or almost any activity, we'd take a kid with you because they would learn who you were, character, who God is through with me times. And do you know who else used with me? Jesus with the disciples, right? Come follow me. Come with me. And also we see it here in Psalm 23. God is with us and we get to be with him. As we walk out this journey called life, we get to do it with God, a good father and a good shepherd. What does that mean? That means that our good father, our good shepherd is with us and we get to be with him. And when we encounter any of these things, we don't even oftentimes know how often that rod, that staff, they comfort, they protect. It it goes on without even our knowledge or understanding, but it's always happening. And when we face that test, that trial, that temptation, God is there with us in the midst of it. He encourages us encourages us in those moments to ask for his strength, to ask for his presence, and ultimately to ask for deliverance. We get to do that because we are with him and he is with us. We're so dependent upon that. That's not really popular in American culture to say that we're dependent upon something. But friends, if we're honest, we cannot do this on our own. We need to rely upon our Father who actively is there with us, comforting, leading, guiding, and directing. Now, full disclosure, sometimes these things happen because of what we've done, right? And sometimes these things happen because of what others have done to us. And sometimes it's just a result of living in a fallen world. Sometimes it's our fault, sometimes it's not. And sometimes a trial or a test or anything will hit us head on, and we're kind of rocked by that. But like Job, like Abraham, we get to walk it out with a Father who is with us every step of the way. Do we have a God who stands far off at some distance? No, we have a God who's right there with us, walking it out. And thus, and thus we can say, along with the psalmist, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even in the darkest valley, you are there with me, and I am with you. We get to walk it through with him. It's an amazing promise. It reminds, us of, it reminds us of who we are and who God is. We get to walk it out. And so, as we seek Him, no, as we pray this week to be delivered from these things, may we do so remembering who He is. And as we do that, we'll live out what is our next step for this week, which is this. As I pray through temptation, trials or tests this week, I will remember the good shepherd is with me. I'll remember the good shepherd is with me. I'm thankful to a father who is with me, who actively protects me more than I'll ever know this side of heaven, who walks alongside of us, who leads and guides and protects us, who invites us to call upon his name, And when we do, we are spared oftentimes 
from the temptation, the trial, the test, who renews our minds, who shapes and reforms us into the Son, image of His Son, Jesus Christ, who delivers us. And we get to do that every moment of every day. Amen? Amen. If you're hearing this today and you're going, wow, I don't feel like I have anyone with me. I don't know that I know who God is or who Jesus is. I'll tell you, friends, it's, it's an incredible thing. One of the things I appreciate most about being a Christian is that I have a God who is with me. And also, because of I get to follow the teachings, His teachings, and, and, and put them into my life, I get to walk it out with a community of folks called believers. We get to navigate this life together. And if you've yet to come, know, yet to, come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, why not today? So that you can begin to walk out this journey of life with Him and with a fellowship of believers. Here at New Life, we say it's simple. It's not easy. It's simple. It's as simple as A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. Admit, believe, confess. Admit is simply to admit that we're a sinner, that we are in need of God. Believe is that we believe who Jesus says that he is, that he is the son of God, not just a good teacher, that he is the son of God. And because of that, he gets to be the savior and Lord of our lives. And then we confess. We confess not just that we're sinners, but also that we are sinners in need of him in our lives, in need of redemption. That is simple. It's not easy because this is the first step of allowing him to be savior and Lord of our lives, which means he gets to tell us what to do. If that's you today, I would invite you that as I pray here in a moment, that you would simply pray for Jesus to come into your life, to rule, to reign as Savior and Lord. And that is the first step. And then if you would, as you pray that prayer, let us know in the chat so that we could uh, reach out to you because this is the first step of what we hope are many next steps of coming into relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this message. Lord, I ask and pray that right now we would come to know you as a father who is with us, actively freeing us from temptation, from trials and tests and evil at almost every turn. Lord, that you would be with us as we walk that out in this life. Lord, I pray for any of us who do not yet know you as Savior and Lord, and I pray right now that we would confess a need for you, that we would say, Jesus, come into my life, rule, reign, be my Savior and my Lord today. Lord, may we take that first step. For those of us who do know you, Lord, I ask and pray that right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would begin to renew us, to restore us, that as we pray this prayer this week, you would make us more aware of who you are, who we are, how dependent we are upon you, and ultimately how you free us from sin, from temptation, and ultimately from death. Father God, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray that you all have a blessed week.